Welcome back. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and managing partner of Cordell and Cordell. And as usual, we bring you the latest topics and information as it relates to family law and how it's being affected by COVID-19, not only across the country, but around the world as we continue to broadcast in the UK. This week, I'm joined by Jonathan Wynn, and Jonathan's in our Utah office. And Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Morning. So uh, as always, I always give you the disclaimer that this shouldn't be taken as legal advice. You know, both Jonathan and I have limited uh, state licensures. I'm particularly licensed in Missouri, Illinois, and Georgia. And like you listening, I'm sure you're listening around the country in a state that neither of us are licensed in. So this is more for information, education, and really talking points for you to take to your attorney and, and just have a really good conversation and to stir uh, something that for you to do and action for you to take. So take that for what it is. And so today, we wanted to talk a little bit about ADR. We hear ADR thrown around, which can include arbitration, mediation, so even formal or informal. So I thought Jonathan would be uh, excellent to talk a little bit about it and its history. So Jonathan, for guys out there that have maybe heard that ADR, they don't really understand what it is. Maybe you can just kind of give us a history of what ADR is and how it relates to, to guys going through family law. You bet. So ADR stands for Alternative Dispute Resolution. And you know, this process of having a, a, a neutral or a mediator, I mean, that goes all the way back to the Greek times of Plato and Socrates. But really in our courts, it really started around the 1970s. Um, that's when courts started realizing that, that a, an alternative dispute resolution is a way to lower their court dockets and reduce the amount of cases that were coming in. Uh, in particular in Utah, it was around the 90s that they started putting some laws into effect. Uh, in our divorce cases, for instance, it was just not that long ago, they started mandatorily requiring people to do a mediation prior to actually going into court. So it's still a fairly new process. Uh, and a lot of clients really don't understand, you know, what is a mediator? What is an arbitrator? What does this even mean? And so today I thought it'd be a good idea to just kind of give some of the basics to, to the people out there listening. Yeah, you know, this, the idea that, you know, courts around the country are closed, and we use that word loosely, and I want to ask you about the status in Utah. But I, we want to, you know, ADR is a wonderful topic to talk about that, that guys could take advantage of. I was talking to uh, Rosario uh, in our San Diego office last week, uh, generally about, you know, utilizing private judges, private attorneys to try to continue and further the case while courts buildings are closed. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about how guys can use it, but first maybe update guys on what's going on in Utah, the status of case of uh, the courts and whether they can file or the buildings still closed, kind of update them a little bit. You bet. Um, I mean, one of the most important things for, for guys to know is really, most of what happens in a divorce doesn't happen at court. Mm -hmm. um, in Utah, for instance, our, our Utah average is about 98% of cases will settle outside of court. So that means only two out of 100. Uh, before doing this podcast, I actually went through my last two years just to kind of see what our average was. And I was actually about exactly about two out of 100 of my clients went to trial. The other 98 clients settled outside of court. Um, our courts are still open to the sense that we can get telephonic hearings, we can get in front of the judges. But actually getting a trial, they're pushing all of our trial dates out. I've had two trial dates now pushed out. And so clients who were ready and wanting to get this done and wanted that finality of a trial in the next two, three weeks, now we're looking at another four or five months before they get into trial. And so that's where this, this other option is, is an, a great option for those clients. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, they are anxious. Uh, they may be in the same house. And we know the, the stress that that, you know, that a shelter in place and, 
close quarters is putting on guys. And as you suggest, they just want to get moving. And we've been saying for the last six weeks, there are plenty of things that guys can do to continue to move their case forward. Uh, and we really haven't given much attention to this notion of mediation. And so I think it's a good thing. Maybe you can talk about one, how mediation really works in family law. You know, who are the players? And does it mean that whatever happens there is binding? You know, we've heard binding, non-binding, that's used with arbitration. But let's talk about who the players are in mediation and how guys can use it and what happens in that setting. You bet. So primarily there's two probably traditional ways of, of alternative dispute. The first is called a mediation. In a mediation, you, you typically have two rooms. In most cases, you kind of want to keep separated. So husband and attorney in one room, wife and attorney in another room, and you have a neutral mediator who really just knows nothing and just goes back and forth between those two rooms negotiating a deal. Uh, a lot of mediators take very different roles depending on what kind of mediator you have. Some are purely just waiters. They just bring the order from the table to the kitchen and they bring the order back out and they just, you know, and the others are what we call more of a persuasive mediator. These are typically our, our experienced family law attorneys, maybe even retired judges who not only bring the order in, but then kind of give their own opinion on where they see this going. You know, if this was in front of them on the bench, here's where they'd rule on certain issues to kind of help the parties get a real idea of what this is going to look like if we go further. But the process of mediation is completely confidential. Uh, anything that's said with the mediator in one room doesn't have to be disclosed in the other room. So people can really freely talk to each other and, and negotiate and explore many options. The other really great thing about a mediation is you're not really stuck in the boxes that you have that the judges are stuck in. A judge has to divide the property a certain way, divide the kids a certain way, divide the alimony a certain way. In mediation, you can kind of horse trade some things around to try to help meet everybody's goals, kind of finding mm -hmm. a better win-win. So that's, that's the mediation process. Now, very different from that is an arbitration. Uh, in an arbitration, typically everybody's together in one room. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no ex parte communication, meaning that nobody talks to the, the neutral without the other side hearing what's being said. And so this neutral person who's the arbitrator, they're very much more like a judge. Matter of fact, in most cases, we use retired judges just because of their experience. And rather than it being a, a process where two people just come to an agreement and decide on something, this arbitrator makes a ruling just like a judge would do without all the formalities of the court and the cross-examination and getting on the stand. You just kind of sit in a room, you talk, and at the end of the day, the judge will make a decision for you. Hmm. You know, that's really interesting because uh, in my career, we've used mediation <clears throat> where we couldn't agree on, for example, um, maintenance, alimony, spousal support. And in some respects, we said, look, you know, let's create a ceiling and a floor. You know, you're at the top. That's what you think is the highest. And I'm at the lowest and give that to the mediator. And let's see what happens. You know, we, we know walking out, it'll never be lower than X and it'll never be higher than Y. And so that's kind of, we left it to the mediator to find some middle ground and it maybe hits the ceiling and maybe it starts at the floor. Uh, but we've kind of made some, some rules, uh, you know, in your experience, have you kind of gone into that and made some rules of the game before going into mediation? We have, uh, you know, those high lows are, are great. And I've got, you know, certain attorneys uh, maybe start almost a little too aggressive. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, it makes the other side have to kind of go to the other side and start clear over here which makes for a very, very long day of mediation. And so sometimes yeah. we can even say, hey, before we even get into mediation, make us an offer, we'll make a counter offer. Let's, let's bring us a little closer before we even mm -hmm. spend the time there. Because once you're in a mediation, you're paying for your attorney, their attorney, and the mediator. 
And that's not mm-hmm. really the time to just start the first offers. It really should be a little further along the, along the trail yeah. before that. You know, I've always said, you know, when I practiced in Georgia, there was a uh, requirement that everyone go to mediation before your first court date. And it was rather early. And I always looked at that as maybe it was a little bit inefficient because no one was really ready to settle at that point because it was so early in the game. But surprisingly, we did. We got a lot done. Uh, but I always told my clients, I looked at it two ways. We're either going to walk in and this is going to last five minutes because our, our positions are so far apart, the mediator is going to say, look, we're too early, we're too far, I can't bridge that gap. Or we're going to stay there nine, ten hours, we're going to hammer it out. Um, I think that that's kind of what guys are looking at. But I think the most important thing that they can take away in thinking about mediation is that you, the guys have to prepare. You just can't walk in. Yeah. If you're going to spend the money, don't you think that they should be preparing you know, extensively as if this were maybe a trial? Definitely. Uh, our timing wise, where I kind of like it best is I like to be able to file the, the petition for divorce first mm-hmm. and get an answer. That way we do have essentially at the very starting of a high-low. Then usually within a few weeks of the answer, you do exchange all your financials and your declarations that kind of give at least a good snapshot. Uh, it's important because where the mediation is, is all confidential, these early financial documents are under oath. oath. So at least that way, when you're going into mediation, you have something you're basing your, your evidence on and your decisions on. You have somebody that's testifying on oath. Here are what my assets are. Here's what my income is. Here's what my budget is. If you go in too early and you don't have that, uh, you don't know exactly what you're dealing with. I mean, there's in most cases, you kind of hope that the two parties know what their marital situation is like. They know what their budget is and their assets, but you don't have that security of having that extra step on there. Yeah. You know, I also look at mediation as at times a free look into the evidence, kind of peeking at their cards at a poker table, because a lot, you know, a lot of these uh, lawyers will show their hand. They show what the evidence is. You know, I, when I practice in civil litigation, I did employment discrimination defense work. I always said that oftentimes you could win a case by showing your hand at a mediation. Well, uh, in family law, it's a little bit different. I've always thought, why show your complete hand um, because, you know, emotions take over and you just want to walk away. But uh, what are the cons thinking about showing your hand? I mean, for me, it's, it's a great opportunity to see what they're going to say and their positions they'll take, but are there any disadvantages to mediation at all? You know, I, I kind of agree. I think you get more information from a mediation than you probably would from a deposition in a lot of cases because mm-hmm. uh, both sides really do want to say, here's why I should win. And they want to tell the other side of the mediator, here's why I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, the disadvantages is, uh, one of the advantages I think is, is a client really gets to have his day in court. Uh, unlike a court where you kind of want to censor and maybe hold back and maybe not show quite so much emotion, sometimes it's nice just to get it off your chest, to be able to complain and maybe even raise your voice a little bit, you know, in a, in a private setting where you can have somebody who hears you and nods their head and says, yeah, I understand what you're getting at. Um, now, on the other side of that, having a little bit more free reign from somebody in mediation also maybe can hurt how they appear and how that mediator then looks at them as being a potential witness and their credibility on the stand. And if they're highly emotional and they're having a little too much free reign on mediation, that mediator may think, gosh, this might be better for these guys to take the trial because this guy is not going to do so well on the stand. Yeah. Um, it definitely it saves costs uh, when it comes to discovery. The, the big downside I see, though, is you just can't verify a lot of the information that comes back and forth. Uh, they could throw out a lot of information ahead of time and, 
and it's not verifiable really in this in the sense of mediation without taking out and you know doing the discovery thereafter yeah I mean, I always tell my clients, maybe another downside that I think about uh, that just came to mind was, you know, we go in there, it's stressful. Um, sometimes guys feel pressured. You know, you're in a mediation, arbitrary, or the mediator is saying, hey, look, this is the, you know, what I think is should settle for. And they feel pressured to do it and to sign it. And uh, that's a tough situation. I mean, it doesn't feel like they're prepared necessarily. If you're ready for a trial, you know, you're not having to make a decision, you're just putting your case on. And so I always tell clients that, look, I get it. If, if you feel pressured, you have to walk away. You know, this has to be something that you feel comfortable with that was already within your reasonable goals, kind of the high low, which kind of leads me into the next segment of, especially during COVID, uh, Jonathan, a guy should be thinking about their goals. You know, what should, what would the result look like? Don't you think they should be setting high lows as they, before they go into a mediation? And, and even more importantly, if they're really wanting this over, they shouldn't be as aggressive, perhaps. You know, they should be willing to perhaps settle for something different than they otherwise would, don't you think? Definitely. Um, working with a good attorney will help you ahead of time know, are your goals realistic? Are these achievable goals? Mm -hmm. uh, because if your goals are above what is probably what your attorney is telling you is realistic, you're never going to be happy, no matter what yeah, route right. you go. And right. so the first step is kind of understanding what mm -hmm. is a fair result. And usually that's not just a line, a point in line. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a group, you know, it's a high and a low. Anything within this range is considered pretty reasonable. Obviously we want to get as high as we can to this side. Um, when you have a mediator who's consistent with your attorney saying, Hey, this is within the range of reasonable. Then you know, your attorney's on the right spot. And you've got now two opinions that are telling you kind of, Hey, this is where we're at. If your mediator is way away from your attorney, You've got a situation where either the mediator doesn't know what's going on, or maybe your attorney's just a little bit overselling what he's trying to get you. And yeah. you know, you have those attorneys that are, uh, you know, hire me and I'll make all your dreams come true kind of attorneys. And you got to be careful there too. Right. For some dads out there, the coronavirus pandemic has become a pretext to limit access to their children. Other dads have been pushed out of key decisions affecting their children's lives. If you're one of those dads, Cordell & Cordell is here for you, as always, but with expanded services. We can meet you in person or by video conference on weekdays, evenings, or weekends. Our goal is to step up our service to meet your needs now. So you know this mediator, you know, they are by nature an impartial individual in some respects, but I've always felt like, and I'm curious about your opinion, that you really have to, in some respects, win the, the mediator over, both in how you present, how, you know, your goals, your first offers, uh, as you progress and negotiate, that you're willing to move off of some things, because if you can win that mediator, mediator over, they may be able to press the other side into something that they otherwise wouldn't have, don't you think? Definitely. I think, uh, You've got, you know, some mediators who their goal is to get a fair resolution. Other mediators, maybe their goal is just to get a resolution. And so those second kind of mediators, they typically will just push whoever's the most movable person. And if they find that one of the two people is just moving more than the other, or maybe more desperate to settle, they're going to keep pushing. But when you get those fair mediators, and again, usually it's a little bit more experienced mediator, maybe a judge, a family law attorney, usually almost always attorney mediators. They're going to be looking at what they think is the end of the, what they think is fair. 
And usually they do that within maybe the first two hours of mediation. They kind of make their own opinion of, here's where I see this going. And they start trying to push both people to get to that middle ground. And so that first hour of mediation is critical to really show your, your, your good facts and explain why this is what you think is a reasonable solution and really kind of get them on your side early on. I mean, isn't the selection of the mediator as important of, as anything? I mean, I know you alluded to it earlier about maybe selecting judges who have experience, but you want someone, I think, you know, you have to really think about who that is based upon your facts. You know, I may be, it's like selecting uh, a guardian ad litem, someone who represents your kids. You really want to kind of really think about who that should be. Don't you think uh, the selection process, if you can get your way, is one of the most critical things? Definitely. Um, when I'm looking at selecting a, a good mediator, uh, first thing I look at is who is my opposing counsel? Mm -hmm. If I've got a, an attorney that's been practicing family law for 20 years, I'm not going to get a mediator who's only been practicing for five. That's right. not going to help. <laughs> right. I, need to, I need to have a mediator usually that has more equal to or more experience than the, the attorney that I'm dealing with. So they have a little more credibility when they're cross-checking facts and, and having kind of reality check. Uh, the other side of it is not all retired judges make good mediators. There is a transition period. And so it's looking at those who, who've, who've done that transition. There's a couple of judges I've used that r realistically right off the bench, they were horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, right. they were just lousy and, and both sides, we just weren't getting settlements because either one side won or one side other, they were judges. Mm -hmm. uh, but over time, they learned how to be better mediators. Now some of those same guys are my favorite mediators because they've learned to, to transition from the role of just making a ruling to negotiating a, an agreement. And yeah. it's two very different skill sets. Totally, 100%. I mean, it's easy to pick a judge who you know over history has calculated support only this way, or maintenance, or alimony, or something. But that may not be what you need. You need someone to kind of bridge the gap and meet halfway. And I think that's an excellent point uh, that, you know, in terms of selecting that mediator. Now, in terms of arbitration, you know, as we kind of wind up a little bit, um, what are the disadvantages of arbitration if you choose that method and, and that path? Um, well, first prior is if you've got a very complicated case, uh, cases that maybe involve several experts, it's a little harder to get all the information in arbitration side of things because it's a much quicker process. Uh, if you've got a person who you know really wouldn't do well under cross, you don't have the ability to cross-examine them typically in an arbitration. Arbitration is a little bit more almost like just closing arguments. You know, both, both attorneys just get up and do all the talking and you don't really hear from the people as they kind of summarize the information. And so if you know there's a lot of, you know, dishonest information or incorrect information, it's a little harder to get that out through an arbitration than you could through an actual cross-examination in the court process. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, even in, with the shelter in place across the country, I mean, assuming mediation can take place virtually using Zoom or some other technology? Yeah, I did three Zoom mediations last week, and uh, I actually really liked them. In a way, almost even better than the face-to-face. -face. I was able to pull up my exhibits and my documents right on my screen and share it with everybody and highlight what I was looking at, and it really flowed very well. I didn't think at all it was a disadvantage to our client. If anything, I actually might have had some advantages. Yeah, I, totally. I think their guys are listening right now. Their case has kind of been stalled out, or, or they just filed, or they, they want to file. I mean, I think this is the way to keep things moving to avoid those delays, because when this clears up, as you suggested, you know, not only are new cases gonna be crushing the system, but you know, this long line of people waiting to get a hearing, it's just gonna you know, double the time to kind of get through. And I think uh, now yeah, better be than ever. Definite backlog there. Absolutely, just gotta get through it. 
Well, Scott, I have two other options I wanted just to kind of bring up really quickly. These are new yeah. things that most even attorneys haven't heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, one is called a, a med arb or mediation arbitration. Another is called a binding mediation. And so this is really two different options where they take mediation and arbitration and they somehow kind of combine them. So first is the, is the binding mediation. And what happens in that process is you've got a mediator who all day long is, is trying to get people closer and closer. And at some point they just can't quite meet. And so it converts then to an arbitration. And, you know, typically when I've done these, I say, if we don't have an agreement by five o'clock, boom, we're done. We each have a half hour closing argument and the mediator decides what we haven't figured out. Hmm. And it makes it so rather than spending a whole day in mediation only to not get a deal, then have to go to court anyways, you know, at the end of the day, I have a deal. Now there's yeah. pros and cons of that process. We can get into that. The other side is what's called a med arb, which is basically where you have two different people, a mediator and an arbitrator. And you basically have the mediation go till five o'clock and then you have the arbitrator show up at five. And if you're not done, hmm. that second person then jumps in and does a one hour arbitration and then you're done. Yeah. And two, I mean, these are two fairly uncommon practices. They're kind of new. The med art started <clears throat> around 1997 ish. The uh, first I heard of it was about 10 years ago. I was in a mediation and the mediator actually brought it up as a idea because I thought I was right. Opposing counsel thought he was right. And we were just locked and we weren't moving. And they said, Hey, let, let me just make the decision as a, binding arbitrator and I'll get this thing done. And yeah. we both yeah. were on a board because we both thought we were going to win. And it was, it was a great process to just bridge that gap. It is. I mean, I think for, for guys who, you know, say, look, I got to have this over and, but I'm, you know, I want to try to get through that mediation and see if we can all agree, you know, it's in their interest if they can to, you know, mom and dad or the two couple or the couple to make their own decisions. But if they're committed to say, look, no matter what happens today, we want this over. And I think that your suggestion works wonderfully, you know, to convert it to an arbitration at some point and uh, just say, that's the way it's going to be. If you can't agree by 5 PM, arbitration kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it really gets these cases done that, and you know, you, you got to have good clients for it. You got to have good facts. And you know, when you're in that winning position and you know, the other side just not being reasonable, it's a great way just to yeah. kick this down the road and be done. And I do think not jumping right into something like that, I think it's, it's, as you suggest, the right facts, the right case, because if you're not careful about what you're choosing, you could put yourself in a position where you really, really wind up in a result that's far worse than what you expected. So I think it's worthy of a conversation. And all of this, as you suggest, Jonathan, is just really good stuff for guys that really don't get an opportunity to hear about mediation and arbitration and the combinations that you suggested. But uh, really, really good stuff. Thanks for uh, bringing that up today. Yeah, you're welcome. So that wraps up today's uh, video and podcast as we just talked about ADR, uh, especially now during COVID and shelter in place, what a wonderful opportunity it is for you to have that conversation with your attorney and to see if this is something that can be used to your advantage to speed up your case, to get it resolved uh, before the rush gets in on some of these courts. So continue to tune in to our video and podcast series as we try to bring you the latest and most up-to-date uh, issues uh, that are being affected by COVID-19 and family law. Again, turn in this week, we're also going to have a virtual town hall where you get an opportunity to log in and ask questions of our panelists and get your answers. So tune in to our virtual town hall on Thursday. Uh, we'll, we'll bring those new panelists to you and opportunity to have you ask your questions. As always, continue to tune in to this video cast as we bring it to you every day. Check us out at cordellcordell.com if you need virtual or telephonic uh, consultations. We're available and uh, we can schedule those for you at cordellcordell.com. Until next time, have a great week.